Hello and welcome to another fascinating episode of Leading with Joy, your go-to podcast for creating, experiencing and leading with joy. Joy is the fundamental human right. We're all born to experience joy and it's a journey of hope marked by challenging realizations, necessary detachments and letting go of the ego to arrive at a state that feels like flow, compassion, peace. And in today's episode, we're honored to welcome Professor Hoda Aksayimi, who embodies all of these values as a beacon of inspiration and a vanguard for joy in the digital age. Hoda, with her extensive background in international relations and digital diplomacy, brings an unparalleled depth of knowledge and hope. And through her efforts, she is truly a catalyst for positive change in our increasingly interconnected world. Through her groundbreaking work with the World Economic Forum, where she serves as co-chair for the Global Cybersecurity Council, and her advocacy for women in the digital sphere as president of the Emirates Digital Association for Women, an ambassador and chief executive officer for women in artificial intelligence, Hoda exemplifies the kind of leadership that transcends traditional barriers. She's not only contributing to the tech narrative, but also redefining it, championing a world where everyone has the opportunity to lead with joy. Her mantra, bring your full human to work, which I absolutely love, is a testament to her belief in holistic and authentic engagement. It's an invitation to integrate all facets of our humanity into our professional lives thereby enriching not just our work environment, but the broader fabric of our society. And as we navigate through this enlightening conversation, we also touch on the dynamics of feminine energy in the tech industry. Responding to Catherine's, who's our podcast listener, insightful question on how these powerful forces can reshape the very core of traditionally masculine domains. How that truly helps us chart the pathways to a future where technology Joy and human spirit unite to create a symphony of progress for all. Hoda, welcome to Leading with Joy. Thank you, Marcy. It's such a pleasure to be with you on the podcast and discussing one of the most important aspects in life, joy. So let's kick off with um, with joy, your definition of joy. I mean, you have vast experience in tech advancements. You're director and founder of NYU Center for Emerging Advanced Research Acceleration for Tech. You hold many leadership roles, including co-chair of the World Economic Forum Global Cyber Security, Future Council on Cybersecurity. Uh, how do you define joy in the context of such a beautiful professional journey? Um, so I think for us, for me at least, joy is a positive and profound state, a humanitarian state that is predominantly centered around a sense of well-being, but collective well-being, and as well a sense of gratitude and also purpose. And it comes with a very unique structure that I would say a long-term value for me at least, which is um, centered around serenity, peace, and collective good. We're moving towards a world that's becoming decentralized. In my experience, the value of the collective is now being appreciated a lot more than the value of working in silos. What role do you see joy play You know, in, bu- in building for the collective, I should say? I think... We should first start by defining what does joy mean. It's very subjective to different 
communities, societies, and individuals. And we should start by acknowledging that joy is different for different perspective. And holistically, if we want to to embody that kind of definition, then we should welcome the inclusive, not the exclusive definition of joy, which means for some, it could be as well embracing pain, grief, and sense of um, a bit of a sense of a negative grounding around uh, human suffering and traumatic experiences, but at the same time, persevering that to make sure that you embody a sense of a human resilience because you want an ultimate, an, an ultimate outcome of peace and serenity to be surpassing whatever circumstances you're passing through life. So acknowledging that this could be as well an acceptable definition of joy as that other definition that would say uh, it's a profound emotional state of happiness, joy, and bliss, and uh, pleasure, and delight. Because I, I think we tend to be very uh, binary in, in our definitions, and we tend to pick and choose uh, sorry, the positive associations that come with joy and forget about the fact that joy is as well surrendering to vulnerability and making sure that you are not defined by those vulnerability, but you're defined by the way you react to these vulnerabilities or by the way you overcome those vulnerabilities, regardless of the circumstances that are being presented on the table. How do you embrace these qualities that redefine our experiences of joy, the feminine qualities, the feminine traits, and how do you inspire with them? That's an amazing question. I mean, let's start with the fact that we live in a very, um, we're in a very selective world that's personalized behind specific profile of existence when it comes to embodying an image of success. So if you want to know who is the perfect leader or who is the perfect champion globally, we tend to use uh, a de facto stereotypes around us and champion those stereotypes. And most of those stereotypes would have, I would say, masculine traits associated with them. Some of these masculine traits could be as well aggravated scenarios of, I would say, pursuit of aggressiveness and success, uh, which might not be one size fits all definition of how we should live our life. Uh, the, why do I love Athena Doctrine? Um, I'm an avid reader, of course, and I had this discussion with a friend of mine recently, Ali Al-Habshi, and she said, Huda, you should read Athena Doctrine. Because we were discussing how feminine values should also have a presence in, in leadership. And the two researchers uh, um, came up with 64,000 surveys and they said surveys input, and they were trying to characterize what are the predominantly favorable leadership traits that exist uh, within different organizations. And the predominant voices were advocating for voices of uh, towards empathy, uh, nurturing, collaboration, flexibility, understanding, protectiveness. Most of those traits, uh, based on those two psychologists, are actually feminine traits. And I think what the survey is aiming to say at the end of the day is that we need to have 
that kind of supportive nurturing spaces in order to be able to define how can we build collective good? Because collective good means everyone on the table or everyone should have a seat on the table. Everyone should have a voice on the table. And for that, you need to cultivate this kind of feeling of psychological safety, of human safety around the different culture or maybe organization or culture that you're building for people to exist in peace and to bring in their human purpose and value and, and, and human good to work with them as well. And a lot of what you said happens at the, at the leadership table. That's the role of a leader, you know, to yeah. be connected with the authentic self. And, um, you know, as a leader myself, I connect both with my masculine and my feminine. You know, I connect with the authenticity of the, of, of who I am. And I, and I, and I promote that in, in the environment in which I work. If we now take this to someone who's just getting started, someone who is fresh out of high school, fresh out of university, how do I live in a world that is toxic, in the world that is influenced by negativity, in the world where you're expected to be one thing or the other, in a world that is highly conditioned, deeply, deeply conditioned in trauma. Yeah, I think I would start by advising my teenager self and my fellow junior versions of myself, uh, as well as uh, leaders on the table, because I believe that we are continuously learning beings. And regardless of how much we got to that very senior phase of, in life, we stand to know nothing when we stand in front of some experiences in life. Um, so, I mean, my f number one advice is being open to the learning experiences that exist around us. And the second piece of advice is making sure that we don't allow ourselves to assimilate to this kind of culture that would push you to be adapting to one size fits all moral agenda. You have to preserve your moral campus to the best you can. I think we tend to, you know, maybe I would advise them to hold on to their inner child. <laughs> In a sense, children, mm -hmm. they're, very, they're very resilient. Children as well, they're very inquisitive. They want to make sure that if you want to them to reform and assimilate to a specific uh, ideology, then you have to justify it for them. Uh, and justify it in a way that makes sense to them. And you're more than you're more than that culture that you are exposed to for eight hours a day. You could be the predominant influence on this culture to bring in a voice of reason, a voice of truth, um, a way of because you talked about co-designing the journey of a human existence within an organization. And I think we, co we all could be champions of this co-designing journey. And every voice matters. 
So I would say don't muffle your voice, don't assimilate, try to use the power that has been given to you within your collective uh, ability to bring in good to the table and aspire to do more because we're more than just uh, whatever. We're more than just job descriptions around the table. What do you consider as that hallmark of the journey promoting the causes which you shared with our listeners? I think most of those moments can be categorized with moments where I was a factor or an agent of multiplying opportunities or access to opportunities for people around me, providing that safety support system for people to exist in their full human forms, I would say, within different organizations, making sure that at the end of the day, when you deal with a very structured, with a very bureaucratic structures, I would say, of organizations and you advocate for values similar to the values we've discussed earlier, when you want to advocate for people are not replaceable rather than they are transferable, you know, transferable talents within your, within your organization and making sure that at the end of the day, at the end of this kind of uh, very, very deliberate and very elaborate journey of convincing the, the structure to change, that it works. And actually, because you voiced your concerns and you put your foot down and you say that we need to build a different system, a different organization, a different culture, Actually, the, the, the system listened and people started changing, seeing that windows of change and windows of hope actually being created because you were part of the body of work or the support system that helped in creating them is, I think, my highlight of joy or highlights uh, of this journey of joy that I have because it means uh, that that one single what if that is the, I started this journey with, you know, when it, I was like, what if I did not assimilate? What if I voiced my opinion? What if I championed this cause? Maybe it would work. Uh, actually meant that there is actually a success rate behind that what if, and we should always go behind our what if. And these what ifs take a lot of energy. 100%. How do you prioritize them? How do you how do you, how do you say, well, this what if is going to get? I think I I tend to build points of connections in between me and the people I'm serving most of the time, which is normal and natural. I want to make sure that I'm not desensitized to the human need that exists around me within the organization, just because I have a specific uh, mission or a specific job description, and I have to hit those performance KPIs or whatever it is, I'm making sure that my priority is connecting to the um, wider group of people around me and also having a sounding board around me that would help me calibrate my energy. I know it's a journey of balancing your energy. That's how I would say it. And I discovered that what creates my highs and lows is highly correlated to how and the number of achievements I would have on the table when it comes to those causes. So I would make sure that I have a, an annual calendar around those causes and I will be on a marathon, not on a sprint, on a marathon 
throughout my year to make sure I hit those goals. Maybe this is what we talked about, about uh, self-worth and not about the selfless act, making sure that you have that deep connection of the value that you can bring into the table and not give up on this value, making sure that you on the go have this kind of agenda where you say, okay, where can I bring value? How can I make people's life better? Not how can I earn more money? Yes, you can earn more money all the time because you know that you are an amazing, high-performing individual. But how can I as well, while earning whatever kind of materialistic glory on the table, make sure that you change people's lives to the best, you share opportunities, you multiply opportunities for others, you build pathways of growth that are uncommon in your organization to make sure that the pain and suffering that existed in the past should be broken and those cycles of trauma should be broken. And uh, I work with a lot of those kind of new technologies that should build for economic development in the long run. And part of understanding that when we want to build for a global economic development, then it means that we are all custodians of the values that we are bringing for the global good, which means it starts with you as an individual. You shouldn't just wait for, yes, I agree with you. And I am um, as well understand that a voice from boards and leaders carry more weight and carry more authority and carry more power and making and instigating a dynamic and swift change, but as well the voices of the individuals to make it harder for leaders to acclimatize themselves to the current status quo and to think that the current status quo is good enough. How would you motivate someone who's just starting in their journey, who is hopeful, but understands that um, their voice doesn't count as strongly as you know someone in the in the leadership role, or I should say, sometimes you just have to trust that what you believe in is a way forward. And in your role, you can be the inspiration for that. But it's hard if you have low income. It's hard if yeah. you just graduated from school. It's hard if you're just starting family. I think there is a huge power that comes the voices of individuals, regardless of how up in the chain or down the chain they are from power or leadership, because they are the voices of reason and they are also the checkpoints that keep those leaders up on their toes to make sure that they deliver that authentic message, right? Someone has to be your sounding board to make sure that you don't assimilate as a leader uh, when you think that you have just delivered the mission and that you don't have to do more. Someone has to represent the statistics, to represent the numbers, to represent the cases of those who needs actually more efforts to be put into the table for their lives to change. A friend of mine, Sanjeeva Warawana, I will just put him on the spot. I remember when I asked him early on, why did he choose to set up his he set up a, a tech startup in Sri Lanka and he raised funding from Silicon Valley in, in in San Francisco. And I was like, why? Like you, you're an IBM, an ex-IBM kind of employee. Why did you choose to do this in Sri Lanka? And he said, because it's the right thing. I need to create jobs for that economy and the, for that community. And I keep on checking on him from time to time. And, uh, 
and he told me in one of our latest visits, when you serve from power, when you serve from strength, it's a different perspective. And it took him a while down his journey to discover that serving from power, yes, it gets easier for you. But if you were that person who lived through the whole cycle of of understanding what kind of necessary change we should bring into the table to create that kind of ripple effect of impact, how many jobs we should create, why we should create jobs in certain economies, how should we empower growth in different economies than the easiest I would say norms that exist because you think it's easier to just establish your company and um, yeah, you know, wherever it is easy for you to access capital and investment uh, buy-in. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is what purpose you are going to create with your own collective capital because your value capital matters as well here. And I think having those Junior voices, we call them junior voices, but I think they are not junior voices. They are the voices of reasons. They are just the the constant, I would say, voices of consciousness that leaders should listen to because it would help them not think that things are okay and we shouldn't instigate changes down the line. Absolutely. And I love what you just said about coming from a place of strength. You know, I call it the place of wholeness, you know, self-worth. Yeah, uh, and once you become whole, the one way for you to grow is by helping others, right? By yeah. by bringing, you know, sharing some of that energy, that uh, that wholeness that you created for yourself, and um, sharing that with uh, with 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 those around to uh, ignite their lights, to nourish their spirit, and to help them see that you know the world of the possible. I wanted to close with a question from one of the listeners, Catherine. Um, how do you use your divine feminine energy in the masculine world or in masculine spaces? She asked. Thank you, Catherine, for the question. I think it's a, such a great question to bring into the table. I, as women, when we exist in, on the boards or in leadership positions, we're, most of the time we're expected to represent a masculine energy and to you know, represent the stereotypes that exist within that uh, kind of a role. But I strive to embrace most, most of my journey, I strive to embrace me as Huda, as a whole well-being of Huda, as a whole human being of Huda, um, when I'm on the table because I wanted to normalize everything that I am embodying um, in terms of ethnicity or representation every kind of aspects. And when I deal with people, I think the feminine values that I carry around are mostly about nurturing my work environment, making sure that I am a support system to people around me. And I care about what kind of support system exists uh, within that kind of organization for people around me. I care about the fact that we need to be authentic and authenticity is, is not an act. It's more about the legacy you create behind. And the legacy means that you have to care about the remnants of opportunity that exists in the room, even when you don't exist in the room anymore. When you're just, when you, when you, yeah, when you don't exist in the room anymore, and when you have, for example, exited your working environment for like, I don't know, 
10 years after you finish the job, what would people say about the legacy that you have created in that working environment? So that long-term asset creation in terms of support systems and support in terms of uh, a safe environment for people to exist in inclusive form is very important to me. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for inspiring. And um, let us lead with joy. Inshallah, Arab. Thank you so much, Marty. Thank you. Thank you.